Hello and welcome back to another episode of Clear for Takeoff. I'm your host Gavin Rice and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. I kind of had, had planned out for this week's episode to, to talk about logging flight time, uh, specifically how we put it in our logbooks, uh, how, how we log flight time in the airlines versus how you would do it in general aviation in a piston aircraft, uh, and, and then cover some topics regarding how to properly log flight time and, and what to expect when, when launching into a career like this. And and just to, to have some good information for uh, you know either future pilots or, or, or current pilots who are, who are just starting out. Because I, I definitely had a lot of questions early on when it came to logging flight time and, and understanding the big picture of, of what it means to have your airline minimums and, and all the different requirements. Um, and because I, you know, I, I've talked, I had, a, uh, I guess that was a couple episodes where I've, I've mentioned the different requirements to become an airline pilot. And I just wanted to dive more in depth with regard to the flight hours. But today was a, a pretty interesting day. And so I, I figured I'd, I'd just, I'd just talk about what happened today. I'm currently actually recording this in the, in the middle of a trip right now. I'm in my hotel room here down in New Orleans. And so I, I thought, you know what, let's just talk about today because today was, was a fun day and a lot happened. And so I just, I just want to talk about that. So the, the first thing I, I wanted to, to talk about was, have you ever you know, boarded a, a plane as a passenger and you're, you know, the, the flight attendants have closed the doors, they, they've started all their, their safety announcements, they've, they've shown you how to put on the seatbelt, you know, how the inflate your life jacket if you ever need it and, and all the safety features of the aircraft and then you you look out the window and you realize hmm we're still sitting here we haven't even pushed back from the gate you know what is the reason for that so kind of to, to give you a little bit of a behind the scenes look of, of what's happening up front it, it really depends uh, on on what's going on uh, and and specifically the the example i bring to you today is morning rush hour in DC, specifically Reagan's uh, Reagan Airport in, in, in DC. And so this morning, uh, things started pretty early for me. I had uh, one leg from Boston Logan to DC, and then the the next leg was DC to New Orleans. And the time in between those two legs, uh, I think, was less than an hour. So it wasn't it wasn't too much time at all. Uh, pretty much the last passenger got off, the cleaners came in, uh, cleaned the plane, and then uh, the next best batch of passengers were, were boarding right away. So it was it was a pretty quick turn uh, to, to get out of out of DC. So we got all boarded up, we were all ready to go, and if, if you remember from episodes past, I think I've, I've talked about how uh, the, the block time or, or the, the uh, the, the time that you see, the scheduled time that you'll see when you book an airline ticket, you know, from, from departure to arrival, you know, what does that exactly mean? Well, the departure is, is uh, we, we use what's called block time. So block out means that we are releasing our parking brake and the, the main cabin doors are all closed up. And so that, that establishes our, our departure time. So we, we got blocked out this morning uh, out, of, out of DC. So we were you know, the parking brake was dropped, the, the doors were closed, the, the jet bridge was, was now pulled away from the aircraft, and now it was time to get ready for pushback. So we, we run the last few check, checklists, uh, pick up our, our takeoff numbers, 
and start plugging those in and, and then we can we can call for pushback and at Reagan Airport it's it's a pretty interesting airport because you have let's see you have the A gates the B gates the C D and and E gates and uh, let's see B through E gates are kind of these these different concourses uh, that extend off the main kind of walkway that goes between all of them uh, and then in terms of the the airport layout there's not that much room between the terminal where these concourses are and the runways and so because of that it's there's there's really no I don't want to say there's no need for it but but because the the space is so small ground control is in charge of getting planes in and out of the gates compare that to a lot of other airports Kennedy LaGuardia Chicago Boston specifically the the Delta terminal I mean there's there's plenty of airport examples where there will be a separate ramp control that is just controlling the movement in the ramp which is which is actually not part of the active area of the airport that ground control controls uh, but DC Reagan is 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 not like that it, it actually ground control is the one that controls all that uh, all, all you know, all the pushbacks and all the arrivals back to the game, and so it can get a little bit, um, a little bit messy, <laughs> because you'll have planes coming in all at the same time, and then planes trying to leave all at the same time, and it just becomes a bit of a nightmare, to to put it lightly. And this morning was one of those. We were, you know, like I said, we we dropped the brake, we got the the doors were all closed, the brake was dropped, we we were blocked out, we we're ready to go, and. I want to say it took me a good five to ten minutes just to get a, an initial word in with ground control just to establish my call sign to just to get us in the queue that hey we're ready to push back off of gate 39 it was it was yeah I think it took about five minutes just to get that word in so then I finally get the word in they the controller the ground controller acknowledges me and then I, I noticed uh, you know I could look out to my right side and in the alleyway behind us there was uh, another plane just sitting there waiting for their turn to get out. They had already pushed back. They had already started at least one of their engines and they were, they were ready to go, but there was nowhere for them to go because there was so much traffic coming in and, and the other alleyways were blocked and it was just a bit of a cluster. And so we were sitting for, uh, you know, at the gate, essentially we were, again, we were blocked out, but we were still <clears throat> essentially at the gate waiting to push back. And I think we were like that for, for probably a good 30 minutes before finally they called us for the pushback and once we pushed back uh, we we started one of our engines and then we you know the the tug disconnects and we we do the the wave off first we see the tug and the tow bar uh, pull away from the aircraft and then we get the wave from the ground crew that hey you know, we're clear of the airplane you're, you're good to go uh, we, we always uh, the call we say is oh, there's a tug there's a tow bar and there's a wave and that means that we're all set we're all fully disconnected we can now run the rest of our checklists uh, for the after start and so we're doing that and and in the middle of that checklist ground asks if we're ready to go and we weren't quite ready to go so I said ah, we need another 30 seconds I probably <laughs> thinking back I probably should have just said yeah we're ready to go and finish the taxi checklist you know on the move but that technically is wouldn't really follow the procedures you know you got to take it one step at a time get the checklist done before moving on to the next step but but given you know how time constraining everything was I mean you know it, it would have probably only taken me five five more seconds to get the rest of the checklist done but I said yeah we just need 30 more seconds 
uh, well, <laughs> we got the checklist done, and then I was waiting, waiting probably another five minutes just to get the word back in that, yep, now we're ready to taxi. Uh, so that, that happens. So we, we finally got our taxi clearance, and we headed on out towards the runway. We um, taxied on, I think it was Juliet, and then we were told to hold short of runway four. And at this point, there's quite a long line of aircraft uh, waiting for for departure. I want to say there was a good 15, maybe 20 planes in front of us. And, and at DC, they can depart off of, uh, the, with the northerly winds, they were departing off of runway 1 and also runway 33. Since we were pretty heavy this morning, we could not take 33. It's a shorter runway. It's only 5,000 feet long versus runway 1, I think, is... I want to say seven, eight thousand feet. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's it's longer. That's what definitely everyone can use. But the the shorter runway only sometimes we can use it because uh, it can be weight restricted. So today we we cannot do the the shorter runway. Uh, so most of us, most aircraft, were headed for runway one, and there were kind of two different ways to get there. You take either Juliet to cross right at runway four, or you go around to the the right side and. I forget the taxiways, but there's a holding block and it, there's more space on the other side. So you, you kind of have this merging area of aircraft coming from both sides uh, and it just gets to be quite a little bit of a cluster. And, and we heard on the radio, uh, there was one plane that was cleared to cross runway four and to go into the block and then monitor tower on the other side. But there was a, we heard the, the call back from that aircraft that, oh, we have a passenger standing up at the back, we can't move, and it took them a long time to get that passenger seated, I guess, and, and so we were just listening to that on the frequency and kind of chuckling about it, because it's like, oh man, this is just bad timing, you know, for them to, to have something like that happen. Uh, so it was just a lot of aircraft uh, trying to, to launch all at the same time. And, and that's one of the issues with DC when you have limited space on, you know, limited pavement to put planes and to move planes around, it can get very, very complicated. Uh, and you still have arrivals coming in constantly too. I mean, they're, they're spaced three, four, you know, three to four miles apart from each other coming in. Now you're trying to launch aircraft in between them. I mean, it's, it gets, it gets pretty tight. And so it's, it's a bit of a cluster. And I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll go back and go to uh, some of the ATC archives. Maybe I'll throw that in this episode so you can get kind of a picture of what it sounds like with how busy the frequency can get. And it's it's like this at many airports, but particularly DC at the morning rush hour, it's a bit of a mess. And it mostly boils down to how many departures airlines have at specific times. You know, I've, I've flown into DC at certain times of the day when it was totally a breeze. It was not much going on, and that's just because there weren't that many arrivals and departures. But this morning, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I've ever seen it that bad. I think we were, I looked at the times today, it was about 58 minutes, just shy of an hour from the time we blocked out to finally taking off. So almost an hour, well, I mean, let's, affect, let's essentially call it an hour that we were on the ground just waiting to take off. And so, yeah, well, let's uh, let's take a listen, and I'll, I'll just have you just a little snapshot of, of kind of what it sounds like on ground uh, to to hear just all the craziness going on uh, on the radio. Josh seventy one Washington ground taxi ramp via Julia Fox Kilo. Julia Fox Kilo, Josh Who's that twenty nine? Brickyard 4630, Charlie 29, push. Brickyard 4366 off of 29, go ahead and push the platform. 
spot four, and it's brickyard 4630. Back Alpha Niner. Okay, everybody stand by for a second. <laughs> there you go. I mean, there's kind of an example of, of what you hear on the radio. It's There's a lot of the squealing and, and stepping on each other, and it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, what you're hearing from that clip uh, it's you know sometimes those archives it, it doesn't quite save exactly how we hear it because uh, you know with a radio frequency when when one transmitter is stronger than another one for example air traffic control their transmitters are, are generally stronger than the transmitters on an aircraft so sometimes you'll hear the the controllers uh, transmission come through a little easier particularly in those recordings but when we're in the aircraft Sometimes, especially if there's a, an airplane on the other side of the airport or behind another building, another, another terminal building, you, you won't hear them the same or you might not hear them at all. So sometimes it can get really confusing and, and you can just kind of hear how everyone's just trying to get a, a word in with ground control. And then, you know, when they finally do, they're in the queue, they're waiting to push back and then they finally push back. And then you're trying to get back in the queue again, just to, just to taxi out of your, your pushback position. And it, it's just, it's like I said, it is a cluster. And so it was, it was a little bit frustrating. We were, uh, the captain and I were a little bit frustrated, uh, to try and get out of there because the way we were thinking of it was, oh man, we are, a little delayed getting out of DC which is eating into our time down in New Orleans because this trip the the footprint of the trip was that we were supposed to arrive into New Orleans a little before 11 a.m. central time and then we had all this time we weren't reporting until 6 a.m. I think the next morning and so we had all afternoon to to go downtown and explore New Orleans get some good food listen to good music I mean if you've ever been to New Orleans there's just some amazing culture music food it's it's a really cool place and I've only been uh, once prior to this uh, and so it's it's just it's a great opportunity to go out as a crew and, and just experience uh, the area but here we are you know we, we we can't even get off the ground in DC so that's that's eating into our time in New Orleans it, it ended up not being too bad once like I said it took about an hour which was a long time but by the time we did get off the ground uh, we, we made decent time in the air and I think by the time we landed and got to the gate in New Orleans we were probably only I want to say about 15 maybe less than 15 minutes somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes late so it wasn't that bad uh, could have been a lot worse and and that goes to show that when you know when you buy a ticket and it shows you how long it's going to take to go from point a to point b the airline will actually factor in uh, typical you know based on algorithms based on time of the day and uh, and the weather patterns you know what are the odds of this plane going from point a to point b what are the odds of it taking this amount of time and so that is factored into your total travel time and so uh, a lot of times you know it's will it'll look like we might be arriving late but we'll still actually arrive on time and the really interesting thing about how i was actually just talking with uh my captain today about this is how if we if we don't block out on time you know even if we're one minute late you know that's considered late that that's it we're late you can oftentimes make that up in the air you can get shortcuts from air traffic control particularly if it's a, a bit of a curved flight path uh, or you can speed up a little bit, make up some time, and then maybe you, you get on the ground, you're lucky, and you don't have to wait for your gate. You know, there's all kinds of ways to to get into your gate sooner. But the fact that you blocked out late means that you're delayed. You're, you're technically delayed. 
which is just kind of weird how that whole mentality works. And, and then on the flip side, you can you can block out on time, you can leave on time, and then you might get to your destination a few minutes, you know, five, ten minutes late, but that's still really on time. And a lot of times you, you don't really, in a lot of cases, you, you're not really paying attention, not really paying attention to that. Uh, and, you know, it becomes uh, an issue for, for passengers if you're arriving late into a connecting city. You know, let's say you're going to Chicago or, or D.C. Or, or Philly, you know, any of these hubs that, that are big connecting hubs. It, it can make it stressful for passengers and airline operations in general to, to try and build uh, flight schedules where people can, can make these connections. Because sometimes uh, I've noticed particularly for D.C. connections, like when I've looked at tickets online, I mean, They'll give you 30, 40 minute connections, and that is not a lot of time to make it from one plane to the other, especially if, let's say, you arrive into the E gates and now you're departing out of the C gates or the, the B gates. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a walk, even with those, those magic carpets <laughs> to get you through there uh, faster. But it, it uh, yeah, it can, it can add a little stress. So, but anyway, today, you know, going back to today, we, we, we blocked out on time, I think a couple minutes early, and then we arrived, I don't know, 12 minutes late. And, and again, that was because we were on the ground for an hour just trying to get out of D.C. Uh, but then we did, and 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 we made it to uh, to New Orleans, and, and we got to our hotel. So that that was just kind of a <laughs> little snapshot of of how you know you, you ask the question like why why aren't we pushing back yet? You know what's going on? Well, like like I uh, share with that clip of, of uh, air traffic control, that that's what's going on. You know, you're hearing all everyone trying to get a word in. You got 17 people trying to push back at the exact same time, and you know, ground control can't handle that, and it's 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 crazy. I mean, it is nuts how how many operations they're handling there with limited uh, people. You know, air traffic control is definitely hurting for more controllers, and it's you know, COVID nineteen didn't help any of that. You know, that was uh, at least a year, I think, more uh, of a time span where controllers were not getting hired and trained because the training facility was essentially shut down. But all of the retirements were still happening, so you have controllers that are retiring, and those slots are not getting refilled, and so it's 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 definitely challenging for air traffic control to be able to handle all of that traffic in and out of these airports and, and you know, being able to juggle, juggle that with, with staffing issues. And so DC is, is just one example of, of many air traffic control facilities that they're really struggling with that to, to staff everyone. I've got a buddy, I'm, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast actually, and he said he's, he's constantly picking up double shifts uh, because they're offering it and it, it's a good opportunity for him to make some more money. But they really need them too. I mean, the, a lot of times these controllers are, you know, they're, they're not required to do double shifts, but a lot of times they will because it's just, you know, without that, how are you supposed to, to keep a facility running? Uh, and it's, I, I think, um, I, I remember reading a memo or something about the, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, was actually, uh, they had written a memo to airlines, I think, back earlier this spring requesting that airlines limit some of the the flights that they're that they're planning on on uh, on scheduling just because they don't have enough air traffic controllers to handle the volume that is is predicted uh, for air travel going into the summer of, of 2023 i mean it's we're we're finally back to about the same travel numbers 
as we were back in 2019. I think it's something like two, roughly two million travelers in the United States every single day. I mean, it's it's an insane number of flights going all over the place. And so if you don't have the air traffic controllers to staff all the the, the centers and the, the approach control and, and towers, I mean, it's it gets it gets complex. And, and DC's Reagan Airport is a prime example of that. Those guys and gals are just overworked and it's just an insane system. And and you know, finding the resources and the time to kind of revamp a system like that, it's it's challenging. I mean, I with DC, like like I was saying, how it kind of the unique layout of the airport, it, it doesn't really make sense to have a ramp control. But maybe uh, maybe what they could do is have two separate ground controls where one is for inbound and one is for outbound. Uh, Boston is another example of, of a, an airport that has that, or or something like uh, what Chicago O'Hare has. They have a metering frequency where um, you, you'll first, uh, after you're done pushing back with ramp control, you'll you'll contact metering, and metering essentially will gather your information saying that you're ready to go and hand that off to ground control. And then, so it's just this kind of uh, passed along process where okay, if this aircraft is ready, we'll get them in the queue, kind of thing. But DC, it's just it's a little more old school where you're trying to just hop on the frequency and get a word in to try and push back from your gate and it, it becomes a bit of a cluster uh, and quite frustrating and and that frustration obviously is, is felt on the passengers too because you're you're sitting there on the ground for an hour thinking to yourself why why are we not taking off yet you know how <laughs> what's going on uh, because you know I'm sure many of you have flown into smaller airports and you notice that uh, when you when you push off the gate, you're in the air within five, ten minutes, you know, and that that would be all of our dream come true. You know, if we were able to always fly in and out of airports where we could just get off the gate and get in the air in ten minutes. I mean, that would be lovely. And and those are are, are great. You know, those airports are, are really fun to operate out of because they're very stress free because of that. But just because the immense volume of flights going into airports like like DC's Reagan, I mean, it's just. It's kind of impossible until they figure out either, you know, if it's a staffing issue or if, if they operationally, they, they figure out how to work with airlines to, to straddle some of the, the scheduled launch times to try and limit the rush hours. I mean, it's, it's, what else are you supposed to do? You know, I mean, the thing that airlines will do is they will schedule flights at certain times based on what people are buying. It's all about the money, right? I mean, it's a business. Airline, you know, airline industry, it's a business. They're they're trying to make money and maximize profits. And so if passengers are buying tickets at 7 and 8 a.m. mostly, guess what? They're going to schedule flights at 7 and 8 a.m. and that means that more of them are launching at that same time. And so that's that's where it uh it, it's kind of the cause of some of the problems. So it's, you know, there's it's it's kind of one of these big picture things that I barely understand just the, the basics of it. But uh, that's kind of my, my, my two cents on it all is that if there was some way that airlines and the FAA could work together to, to figure out better schedules and, and for hopefully the FAA to catch up with their hiring requirements and uh, maybe DC to, to have a, a metering or, or an, an inbound and an outbound ground control. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I, I'm sure are, are on discussion tables, and I'm sure they're trying to figure out ways to to, to make operations run more smoothly. But uh, for now, I mean, at that this morning, I've, I've had, in the past, I've had a couple of, of times in DC where, yeah, I was probably on the ground for 30, 40 minutes before I could get in the air. But today, I think that set a personal record for me for now. Uh, like I said, just shy of an hour. I mean, that was that was a very long time, 
to be waiting around just for a takeoff. But once we did take off, like I said, everything else was was very smooth. Uh, we made it down to New Orleans. It was it was a very nice flight. I uh, started the descent into the New Orleans area and and uh, saw my first couple of pop up thunderstorms for for the season this this year so far. Uh, so that was exciting. Had the radar turned on to try and dodge some of those cells and 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 not fly into a, a giant thunderstorm. <laughs> they they weren't giant, but they were a couple cells that we definitely wanted to avoid. Uh, but we came in, we landed, and, and got to our hotel. And then um, the the crew and I, we all decided, hey, let's let's meet down in the lobby in, in like half hour, and, and let's uh, grab an Uber and, and just go town, go downtown, and, and just check out New Orleans. Uh, and that's what we did. We went downtown, and uh, we went uh, explored the you know French Quarter. There's uh, the the famous Bourbon Street where there's all kinds of restaurants and, and cool little stores everywhere and bars and. Uh, just a really cool scene and and there's lots of live music i mean if you know anything about new orleans it's known for its music and food <laughs> i would say that the food and music uh, are the two big things it's known for and so uh, we walked around there and then we went to, to jackson square uh right in the french quarter area there and and uh, we found a couple different venues we got lunch at, or uh yeah i guess that was technically lunch uh, at this one restaurant i had a oh, what was it a crawfish étouffée um, which this etouffee, it's kind of like this, almost like a soup. Uh, and there's a big, uh, a big scoop of rice in the middle of it. And it's this crawfish, essentially creamy soup. It's, it's spicy. It's, it's delicious. Uh, so if you ever, you know, looking for somewhere to go with really unique and, and amazing, delicious food. I mean, the, the Cajun taste that you get in New Orleans is like none other. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And then, you know, there's there's some traditional southern foods, too. I mean, you can get hush puppies and fried okra. I mean, there, there's all kinds of really great food options, and, and there's countless numbers of restaurants and and bars everywhere. So there's there's really great opportunities to, to really immerse yourself in the New Orleans culture, and it's it's a beautiful and very lively city. And we, we had arrived downtown, uh, it was probably, when did we get down there, like 1 p.m. or so? And, and so there wasn't too much going on, and... and uh, this is a, a Wednesday. Yeah, I think it's Wednesday. <laughs> All the days are a blur. Uh, but yeah, it's Wednesday as of this recording and, and the day we went downtown. And so, you know, I, I would think to myself, okay, Wednesday is not too happening of a place. The, the last time I'd actually been to New Orleans was just prior to Christmas. So there was a lot of Christmassy lights um, going on, but it was also about 50 degrees and raining. Uh, not heavy rain, just a light mist. Uh, so I, I ventured around downtown actually just by myself. But uh, there was there was nothing going on. Now that it's warmer, it was it was a little bit busy, uh, but it still didn't seem too crazy. You know, I, there, there's huge events like uh, just recently they had Jazz Fest uh, that happened a couple weeks ago, and and then the most famous one uh, probably is Mardi Gras, and and that's where it's just swamped there. I'm, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure that would be my scene if I really want to do it. I mean, maybe I should do Mardi Gras just to say I've done it. But it is just so packed from from just the photos and videos I've seen of, of friends that I don't know it might be a little overwhelming for me. But I, I probably should do it just to do it. Uh, but today, you know, there was no particular festivals going on, and it's the middle of the week too. Uh, but one thing I did notice uh, is is when we were wrapping things up, and um, a couple, a few of them stayed downtown for a little longer. But I I was getting a little tired, so I wanted to head back to the hotel, and that was around uh, just shy of 5 p.m. and it was definitely getting busier. Uh, there were 
more musicians out, a lot of really great street music, and, and some of the restaurants and bars were starting to fill up more. There was definitely a lot more uh, pedestrian traffic all around French Quarter there. And so it's, it's definitely quite a night scene. Uh, but since I have a, an early report tomorrow morning, I, I wanted to get back, uh, back pretty early uh, just to get some proper sleep since I've been up since 3 a.m. this morning because that first leg from Boston to D.C. was uh, a 6 a.m. flight. So, I, you know, I, I need to get my sleep. I'm, I'm a little tired. Uh, but it was still, it was really great. I mean, the, the scene down there, it's, it's phenomenal. Like I said, the, the, just the smell of, of Cajun food and the sound of, of music, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I think, here, li- listen to this. I'm going to throw in a, a, a little clip, uh, a couple clips, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what it sounds like. that was this one group near uh i think that was called the french market uh down by the water just just near uh, jackson square uh, in french quarter so that was that one there, there was another one uh well there were actually a couple of of uh, just street street kind of brass uh bands that were were just absolutely jamming out on the street and and it was just so great to hear so so here's what that sounded like <laughs> And then one really unique little, little tiny little venue we went to um, was called, I think it was called Fritzl's. It was somewhere along the Bourbon Street area. Uh, very small venue, not a lot of space. There's a bar and, and a bunch of seats. And then there was this one pianist, just solo guy. Uh, you know, he was mic'd up with an electric keyboard and he was singing as well. Um, gosh, I can't remember. I think his name was was. Richard Piano Man Scott or I don't know it was a very uh, simple name I'll have to look at my photos and see what his name was but he he sounded so great too and and so here's here's a little clip of, of what he sounded like And, and so those are just, you know, a couple of little snippets of, of the sounds of New Orleans. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's a lively city. You know, even the middle of the week, like I said, as, as we were getting closer to the time that, that uh, I went back to the hotel and like 5 p.m. or so, it was really starting to get pretty lively. Uh, and so I can't even imagine, you know, on a, a weekend, it's got to be pretty insane. And then Jazz Fest, Mardi Gras, all these other festivals that go on, it's, it's, I can definitely see it. You know, the, the, the energy there is, is wild. And, and the thing too is the people are really friendly. To kind of contrast where, where I am in, in the Northeast, New England, Boston, you know, kind of like any of these big cities like Boston, New York, it, people are, are busy. People go from point A to point B and they, 
they're they're kind of they don't want anyone in their way they want to they want to just get there uh, and they don't want any distractions right uh, and and when are you ever going to see a New Yorker or a Bostonian smile on the street it's not too often right it's uh, people are kind of you know have that get out of my way kind of mentality right but down here it's the southern culture it's just it's so warm and welcoming and people are all smiling and, and granted there's there's a ton of those street vendors who are you know they're coming up to you to try and shine your shoes or sell you beads and all kinds of these trinkets i mean similar kind of stuff you might experience in new york city but it's just it's still different though because the way that they engage with the tourists is just it's it's pretty wild i mean we encountered this one guy who was trying to shine my shoes and he was it, he really started it off uh, just kind of casual conversation i was like ah you know we're just chatting you know whatever uh, and then i was like i caught on i was like ah oh, he's trying to shine my shoes and take some money from me i was like ah oh, thanks but no thanks you know <laughs> i got i got to keep moving here but um it just such a, a warm and welcoming environment down here uh, that i just i really love it it's not somewhere I don't think I'd, I'd want to live full-time because the, the city bustle is just a little too much for me. But I definitely love coming to places like this just to, to visit and experience and, and you know listen to music and, and eat some really incredible food. And and uh, I think I'd actually mentioned it on, on the last episode. One of, the, one of my first jobs uh, at a restaurant in, in Western Massachusetts, um, the, the woman who owned the restaurant, she was from New Orleans. And so... I had reached out to her. I think she's been really busy lately. I was going to try and meet up with her because I think I think she's actually uh, in the area right now. But uh, next time, maybe I, next time I've got a New Orleans overnight, I'll meet up with her. And, and, and she's got a podcast going too. And I'm going to try and get on her show. Maybe I'll get her on my show. I don't know. Um, not that that would be very aviation themed at all, but uh, it, it would still be really unique to talk to her in any regard. So, but anyway, that's just a, a little snippet of of. The past day and this was just recounting today um, I'm gonna go to bed here soon and and got an early show tomorrow morning uh, 615 show tomorrow morning and then we go uh, where are we going back to DC then to Indianapolis then to DC and, and interestingly enough this this pairing uh, I was I was called uh, off a long call reserve and uh, for me the trip is gonna end I'm supposed to be in, in, in DC. I think we get into back to DC tomorrow evening. Um, I think around 7 p.m. or something like that. And then I'm supposed to stay in a hotel, and then take like a 7 a.m. flight tomorrow or uh, Friday morning. But for for me, I yeah, it will be a long day. You know, starting at 6 a.m. But since we get back to DC at 7 p.m., my plan is to just take the 8 p.m. flight back to Boston and yeah I'll get back to Boston a little late I'll probably arrive at 1030 I probably won't get even home until close to midnight but then you know I'll be back home and back in my own bed and then I have all day Friday instead of having to travel part of Friday and then you know Friday morning I can make sure I have time to edit this podcast and get that out to you guys for, for the normal Friday posting so that that's my plan is that when I when I get back to DC I'm gonna take the 8 p.m. flight back to Boston uh, and then I'll make sure I get on that flight and then I'll I'll be sure to, to call crew scheduling and let them know that yeah I don't need the hotel and I don't need the flight and, and that's actually what we call for the for the flights it's what you call faking out a deadhead so again a deadhead you know I'm supposed to sit as a passenger uh, to go back to Boston but I won't need it because I'll use a different flight to commute home on my own time uh, so I'll fake out that deadhead let them know I don't need the hotel room and then 
then I'll go home. And then uh, I'll have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And then uh, I think I go back on a string of four days of reserve on Monday through Thursday. Yeah. And then, uh, so we'll see if I get used. Uh, this is pretty interesting that, that I've, I've gotten used this week and I was just used last week, you know, which tells me things are changing. You know, it's definitely getting a little bit busier. Uh, I think people are calling out more and there's also less of us on reserve now because uh, there's just a lot of movement going on. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the times of me, you know, not working, not flying for weeks on end, I think is coming to a close. I, I think I'm, I'm starting to see that uh, I'll be flying a bit more and, and that's okay. I love it. I absolutely love it. And so we'll see if I do fly next week. If not, I, I do have something on my grid already. It's actually a, an Indianapolis-based trip, so I have to commute myself out to Indy to start the trip. But it, it's commutable on both the ends, meaning that you know the, the day that the trip starts and the day that the trip ends, I'll be able to take a flight and, and get uh, you know start the trip and then the trip uh, from home. So so that'll be good. It you know it adds to the day. It it definitely does. Uh, means more time away from home, but uh, a buddy of mine was really looking to drop that trip and was wondering if I could cover it. And I said, "Ah, eh, why not? You know, let's let's make it work." And so that's what I'm going to do. And and I have um, I have a 34-hour overnight in Memphis, which will be pretty cool. Uh, and and one of the nice things on these super long overnights, the company will actually give us a rental car. And so my plan is just to go check out Memphis. Maybe I'll go to Graceland and, and see the you know the Elvis Presley Museum um, and see what else there is to see in, in, in Memphis. And then the other overnight, it's a shorter overnight, but uh, it, it's in Madison, Wisconsin. I got a buddy of mine who's the air traffic controller friend of mine who's who's in Madison. And so I'm going to meet up with him. And, and if we have enough time, maybe I'll, I'll see about recording a, a, a podcast episode because it'd be really fun to get the perspective of what it's like to be an air, air traffic controller. I, I think that will be absolutely awesome because there, there's so much that us pilots, we just don't know and don't understand. And there's a lot of times where we think something just doesn't make sense or, or we really question it. And I think a lot of our, our questions could be answered uh, through through a nice, uh, a fun interview from, from a pal from college. You know, we, we uh, were close friends from the, the ultimate Frisbee days back, back at college. So uh, but we, you know, I went on to fly and he went on to be a controller and, and you know, we stay in touch. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to at least at any rate, visiting with him, hanging out, going to get some food. I think he said he might be able to, to get me a tour of the tower, which is really cool. Uh, but but I'll, I'll see if I can I can try and get him on the podcast. I think that would be really fun. I, you know, it, it might be one of those things where he's he's I'm sure he's got to be careful about the things that he can share, just like myself. You know, I, I got to be careful about what I talk about. Right. I can't be sharing any sensitive security information. Right. Uh, but but I'm sure we can we can chat and just talk about basic stuff. And I think it'd be really fun to, to get another perspective on, on what it's like to be an air traffic controller. And, and I'm sure he's probably got some insight on the whole staffing shortage issue and, and kind of the outlook going into summer. So he'll, he'll definitely have some fun things to share. I mean, one thing off the top of my head, without spoiling too much, he at Madison, Wisconsin, it's it's three different runways intersecting, and so it gets a little bit crazy with uh, pattern work on one runway, departures on another runway, arrivals on another runway, and you have you know Cessnas doing pattern work, you have air carriers like my company going in there, and then you have the the F-16 squadron, you know, so you got planes going three different speeds, and he said it can get a little stressful at times. 
So I think that would be that'd be really fun to to ask him some questions about what that's like to to be a controller in Madison, Wisconsin. So I'm really looking forward to that because I've been meaning to visit him for the longest time. Uh, he's been there for over a year now, and I still haven't visited him there. So I'm really looking forward to it. But anyway, that, that pretty much wraps up this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. Uh, again, like I said, I was I was planning on doing something about logging time and, and how we fill out our logbooks and whatnot, and, uh, and, and I'll probably do that for, for next week's episode, particularly if I'm at home. It's, it's kind of crazy. The last... I feel like the last five episodes I've been recording have been on the road in a hotel or something. So it it might be nice to have a few days off at home to to record an episode and, and talk about uh, talk about something different regarding you know logging time. So anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week, and until then, as always, fly safe. Mm-hmm.